Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Now this is our sermon portion of our service, but I want to remind you that we are continuing to worship today by looking into God's Word and considering God's Word on this Palm Sunday. So let's have a word of prayer as we gather around God's Word. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us. Thank you for these children that you've permitted us and given us the privilege to lead and to teach, Lord, and to share the gospel with. So bless them as they continue to meet. Bless their leaders. Thank you for the work and the love that these leaders put into this ministry. Thank you for the time of singing this morning in Scripture. And just looking to you, you alone are worthy of our praise and our honor. We love you, and we pray now, Lord, that your words would be heard as we gather around the word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I drive home, I live in Seattle, as I drive home on the freeway, there's a, a place right kind of near 145th Street where the freeway kind of hits the top and kind of drops, and as you look to the south, on a nice uh, clear day, you always get this beautiful view of Mount Rainier. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, well, I know you've seen Mount Rainier. But uh, if you've been on Highway uh, 5 and I go down there, it's this beautiful view of Mount Rainier. We had an uncle and aunt, my wife's uncle and aunt, uh, Jean and Lillian, that uh, lived in Wausau, Wisconsin, really beautiful town in central Wisconsin. We lived in Minneapolis for six years. We used to love to go over and visit and spend time there with them. Uh, they were both from this area. And uh, Jean, her uncle, was a real uh, camera nut. He really liked to take pictures. It was his hobby. And uh, whenever he came out to visit us, at least once a year from Wausau, uh, he would, every chance he'd get, take a picture of Mount Rainier. We'd be driving across, going from our house up 80th toward the freeway, and right where it stops, he'd slow down, slow down, roll down, take a picture of Mount Rainier. <laughs> he'd get out over here and take a picture of Mount Rainier. And he always referred to it as the mountain. I have to get a picture of the mountain. He had about 1,500 pictures of the mountain. Sorry about that. And um, I don't know if you ever noticed, the mountain never really changed. (laughs) (laughs) But I understand. Uh, He just really, really loved the mountain. And this morning, as we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11, we're going to talk a little bit about the mountain. And if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, and we have been uh, studying the Gospel of Mark together in Sunday school and the morning service. Next Sunday, we are going to finish this study, uh, naturally, uh, culminating on Easter, and then we'll begin a new study after, the, um, after Easter, and we have a new Sunday school um, electives that will begin as well for the next session for our Sunday school, so I encourage you to come and join with us. Now, I mentioned to you last week, <clears throat> as we looked at this passage on the Jesus cursing the fig tree. And incidentally, if you were doing a series, if you miss a week, you can always go to our website, and we have the audio uh, of our sermons uh, on the website, whoever's preaching that Sunday. And last week, we considered the Christ um, cursing the fig tree. And then as we came back and looked at it, and we saw in verse uh, 20, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree with withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, 
the fig tree you cursed has withered. And we talked about how this fig tree was on the way from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus, during the Passion Week, um, and we call it the Passion Week because his, his passion for us and his love for us was poured out, of course, on the cross at Calvary. You know, there are really uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday morning. There's also, we have never uh, in our church celebrated on Thursday, but there's also a tradition that many, many of you may have grown up with on Monday, Thursday, and that comes from the French. I believe it means to observe. Am I right, trainer? Do you know? I think it, he didn't know. He's not, he's, oh, you're an English major, sorry. <laughs> anyway, I think it has to do with observe the command. And it uh, comes from Jesus washing his, the disciples' feet. And he says, as I have done to you, you do to one another at the uh, last Passover. And that is Monday, uh, Thursday. So these various, uh, we celebrate these, these, these highlighted events from the Passion Week. And it was after the triumphal entry, he went back to the east, up to the Mount of Olives, where evidently he stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was kind of his home away from home in a little village called Bethany. And as he came back down from the mountain toward Jerusalem, as we noticed last week, Peter recognized and said, of all, Peter said, Lord, look at that tree. It's, it's, gone. it's dead. It's completely dead. And we left it off there and, and wrapped up last week with some application, but I did mention to you that it's interesting that it's in that context, apparently, at least the way Mark tells it here, it appears to be in that context that when Peter says that, look, the tree you, you cursed has withered, and I suggested to you that, that this, is a, this, this tree becomes a, a living and then a dead <laughs> parable, of the leadership and the temple, those who sat in Moses' seat, those who should have been leading the people toward worship of God, those who should have been doing the right things. Jesus has gone in and cleared out the temple as he drove out the money changers and overturned their tables. And I suggested to you that this, this, this fig tree really is probably a parable, a lesson about that leadership of Israel that is no longer leading people toward God and who are opposing the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so it's in that context then, as, they are, as, as they're talking about it, that Jesus then says to him, have faith in God, verse 22. And oftentimes this passage is kind of isolated and pulled out of its context. Um, Have faith in God, Jesus answered to Peter. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I asked you last week to, to think about this because I know that many of you have, have in great faith have prayed to God for something to take place, something to happen, something to change in someone's life, something maybe to change in your life, and you've prayed and you've, you've anguished over in prayer, and yet it never happened the way you desired it would, it would happen. What, what is this passage? What does this mean? Is this applicable to us? Is this just for his disciples? Is there something to this context that might help us and also make application to our lives? So what I want to suggest to you, uh, first of all, if if, uh, Mike would put up uh, just a map uh, for you, um, just just to remind you, the area of Canaan, of of Palestine, this is a little bit, this is a little bit, um, the inset here is the larger map of Israel, 
uh, pretty much the new, this is Galilee up here where Jesus spent his life for the most part. But Jerusalem is right there, and Bethany is right there. It's just a short, um, this guy, well, it's about six, seven miles to Bethlehem, so it's just a few miles away. And up there where Bethany is, it sits up on the Mount of Olives. And, um, and it's in that context, as they're coming down the Mount of Olives, and you can see the Dead Sea from the Mount of Olives, as you're, you'll be coming down from the east to the west to Jerusalem. Now, this, the reason that my uncle loved, Teresa's uncle loved Mount Rainier, they have mountains in Wausau, Wisconsin. Have you ever been to Wausau? Been to Wausau? There's a pretty well-known, have you been there? Pretty well-known mountain called Rib Mountain, where they ski. Now, and, it, and, it's a, and it's a great ski area. It is not the Cascades or the Olympics, okay? Because it's the Midwest. Um, so the mountains we're talking about in Jerusalem, don't think in terms of Mount uh, St. Helens or Mount Rainier or Mount Hood, but it's a mountain, okay? And as they're coming down, obviously they're walking from the top to the bottom, so you know it's not like scaling a mountain. But as they're coming down from this mountain, you do get a sweeping view. You go down in the Kidron Valley where, where Jesus uh, prayed on, on the night he was betrayed. You come down the Kidron Valley, and then you can go up to Jerusalem, which is on Mount Zion. And to the left, you can get a sweeping view of the Dead Sea area, the Dead Sea, the Judean wilderness. So I want to suggest to you, first of all, when there's, there's a couple things that let's, we'll go into it a little bit in the verse 23. First of all, I tell you the truth, if anyone says, and you'll notice all your translations probably say this mountain. Do you notice that? It's not just general. It does not say that if you say to a mountain. Now, there are other places where Jesus talks about faith, and he talks about if you had the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say that this mulberry tree be uprooted and so forth. In this particular case, he does say that you could say to this mountain. And I want to suggest to you that the fact that it specifically has that definite article, this mountain, that he is referring to a mountain in their vicinity. And it's either, it's either Mount Zion where Jerusalem is, or as uh, I appreciated the commentary from um, Michael Lane. He was a professor at South Pacific, Bible professor there. And uh, he, uh, he's, he's with the Lord now, but uh, one of his commentaries on Mark that I use quite often from the Arabman's commentary series, he points this out, that as they're coming down the mountain, it would have made sense for Jesus to, to say, if you say to this mountain, Mount of Olives, if you were to say to this mountain, if you could say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and don't doubt and have faith, it will happen. And I want you to back up a little bit further in the verse, the word starts in verse 22. What Jesus says here, he says, have faith in God. And Lane points out in his commentary, a very interesting point, that where he says, have faith in God, as most of your translations say, in the Greek language, it's a genitive. It's of God. A genitive means possessive. This is the Bible of Jim. It's Jim's Bible. And in the Greek language, you would use this genitive ending to say, I'm picking up the Bible of Jim. And the Lord says here, and maybe we can understand it this way. Lane suggests this may be a good interpretation. Have faith or trust in the faithfulness of God. Have, faith, have the faith of God. Hold on to the faith of God. 
And in fact, in the Bible, we see this thought in the Old Testament and New Testament of God's faithfulness. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. My salvation, my salvation I received by placing my faith in Christ. But the power behind that is the faithfulness of Christ, that he came to earth. He was faithful to what he came to do. He did not sin. He did not give in to Satan's temptation. He went to the cross of Calvary. He was faithful. And it's that faithfulness of Christ that my salvation is really dependent on and allows me to place my faith in Christ. And so this idea of the faithfulness of God is a very important biblical concept. And I'm going to suggest to you that it's possible to read this there. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I, I thought this was an interesting, since it is a genitive, have, have faith of God. Have the faithfulness of God. Depend on that faithfulness. And if you did, you could say to this mountain, throw yourself in the sea and, and don't doubt in your heart. Believe what he says will happen. It will be done for him. Now, this Mount of Olives in Jewish thinking, in rabbinical thinking, is a very important place. I'm going to ask Mike to put up a passage from Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah, the book of Zechariah is a very, it's the second to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah and Malachi. And they are, especially Zechariah is a book that is, is full of prophecies about the coming Messianic kingdom and the coming Messiah. To the Jews in the first century, I want to suggest to you that along with Daniel, Zechariah was their book of revelation. Okay? You read the book of Revelation today and you, and you know that there is a lot in there about what's going to happen in the future. I don't know how many of you are in Bible study fellowship, but next year they're going to study all year long the book of Revelation. And if you are interested in a very, uh, uh, a very concentrated and practical study of the book of Revelation and, and, you, and you're willing to commit to it, you have to commit to it, um, I'd encourage you to look into that. Bible Study Fellowship, the ladies, the women's class meets here at our church. Some of you are uh, go to that class here that meets on Tuesday nights here at our church. They have an afternoon class down at North Seattle Alliance. There's a class out in uh, Bothell. There's a men's class that meets downtown, I believe at First Press still. There's actually a young adult class as well. And next year they're going to study Revelation. I'd encourage you, if you're interested in that, uh, you can talk to me. I'll point you in the right direction, um, and, uh, and I think you would enjoy that. Zechariah and Malachi are really, uh, and Daniel are kind of revelation in the Old Testament. And in that passage, it says this, On that day, his, that is the Messiah, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, from east to west, will be split in two forming a great valley with half of the mountain. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? Half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And then the second part of it, verse 5, you will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Zuziah, king of Judah. Now notice, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And it's this prophecy that talks about coming from the east, from the Mount of Olives. And on this day when it says, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. It just says the Mount of Olives is going to split moving north and south. Later on in that passage it says it's going to become like a plain. And the Messiah is going to come from that Mount of Olives. He's going to come to the east 
and he is going to come to Jerusalem. The last verses of Malachi that we read at Christmas time, it talks about the prophecy of, of Elijah. That, that, and then he will come to his temple. And so in Jewish tradition, in rabbinical tradition, and it was very strong in the first century, there is this tradition that according to these passages, the Messiah is going to come from the east, from the Mount of Olives, go through the eastern gate, that goes right into the temple area of Jerusalem. So I'm going to put my last slide, Mike. Um, this, this is a picture of the eastern gate. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Let's see your hands. Okay, did you go to the eastern gate? Huh? Yes, you went to the eastern I know you did. I was with you, Steve. And um, the first trip I went to Israel, I, went, I got up at early in the morning, like at 6 o'clock, to go get pictures of the eastern gate, kind of like my uncle with the mountain, you know. And I walked right up to the, I walked right up, right along there, and just as I was taking pictures, the police showed up <laughs> and said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking pictures. You can't be here. You can't be here. It's a holiday, and this is a cemetery. It's, 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 a, it's a Muslim cemetery. As you look east, if you look east from Jerusalem, of course, the whole hill going down and back up the Mount of Olives is all graves. There's a Jewish graves, and there's Muslim graves. And so I had to leave. But the interesting thing is, you'll notice that the eastern gate is blocked up. You notice that? That door does not open, Okay. Um, the gate that Jesus may have gone through on Palm Sunday sits right below this gate because Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt 18 times. But the, the gate that Jesus went through would sit right below that gate, and it's the same pattern. Because of the strong Jewish tradition that the Messiah is going to come from the east and go through that gate, the Turks under, uh, under the Ottoman Empire blocked up that gate. And the reason they blocked it up is so the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, has no access to come through that eastern gate into the temple area. That's why it's the only gate today that is blocked up like that in Jerusalem. So here's what I'm suggesting to you. Thanks, Mike. What I'm suggesting to you is this, that this is a promise, a messianic promise of God that even though... At Jesus' time, and his disciples were there, there was a beautiful temple. Herod's temple, I told you last week, he was one of the greatest architects in history. It was stunning. It may have been the most beautiful building in the world. It was stunning. And as they looked at that, and, and Jesus talked about the, the temple elite, those who ran the temple, and how, how they were not doing what God had called them to do. They sat in Moses' seat. And as he has overthrown the, 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 the tables and the chairs, and as later on he's going to talk about the destruction of that temple to the west at Mount Zion, and as they're coming down that mountain, it's possible that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, look, I know it doesn't look like it right now that this could happen, but I want you to know this. You should have the faithfulness of God. You should trust in God's faithfulness that he is going to do what he said he is going to do. And I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Mount of Olives, throw yourself into the sea, and I think it could be a reflection back to Zechariah, that this mountain on the Messianic day is going to split, and the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to go through the eastern gate. If you're willing to believe God's faithfulness, if you're willing to believe and trust in God's word, and don't doubt in your heart that what, what, what you believe that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever, verse 24, you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, 
and it will be yours. And you know, there is this interaction between our prayer life and God's will. We know that. You know, we prayed for Carol Lowen this past week. Um, you know, Carol, I tell you, I've just, I was so touched, you know, as pastor. I was so touched by her attitude. There was a very good chance she was going to lose that eye after that, after that infection. And then when the infection was cured, but the damage was done. And when Teresa and I went last Sunday, and then I saw her again this, this past week, both times, I mean, she's a piano player, you know, and, um, and this is her good eye. Both times, she was, she was just so positive. And she says, you know, I just think of the, the passage that the Apostle Paul says, you know, three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh, and, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul may have been referring to an eye problem himself, his eyesight. And she said, boy, compared to what someone else is going through, this is nothing. I'm, I'm trusting God. And, and I tell you, it was, it was just so refreshing. And you know, we're praying for Carol. We're, pray, we're praying that, that that eye would be saved and she would get her eyesight back. She is recovering some eyesight in that eye. We that didn't, they didn't know if that was going to happen or not. But we're, we're, praying for, we're, we're praying for Carol. We're praying for each other. You look at our bulletin. We're praying for one another. You ask for prayer. I ask for prayer. We do that. Uh, many of you know our brother John Spooner, who's been involved in our coming out from Grace Bible College, working in our camp ministry, and is a good friend of so many, and has been such an important part in so many young people's lives from our church. Very serious surgery this past week with a heart valve surgery and then complications with his lungs. Very serious. John wants to preach on Easter Sunday. He's pastor of, the, of our sister church back in Michigan, and that's not going to happen, obviously. A uh, good friend of Keith Kemper's as well. And, 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 and we've been praying for John, and we're praying according to God's will. You know, I, I don't know exactly how everything is going to work out. I don't know how Carol's eye is going to finally work out. But I, I'm, I know what I'm praying for. Well, while I do so, I, I know I'm praying that, of course, that, the, that God's will will be done, that he will bring his will and our will together. And I think this is a classic case of this, and I think it's very likely that, that Michael Lane is right on this understanding of this passage, that as, as they're coming down the Mount of Olives, and Peter says, look, the, the fig tree is gone. Look at Jesus. Look, it's just gone. It shouldn't have happened that fast. In reference to what's going on in the temple, but what could happen and what is going to happen, Jesus says, look, if you say this mountain, throw the Mount of Olives in the sea. As the book of Zechariah talks about it splitting apart, if you believe God will accomplish what God is going to accomplish. The Passion Week. It's more, now listen, I, I'm gonna, I want to ask you to do something this week. The Passion Week. So this is one, one incident from the Passion Week, and it moves on from here. The Passion Week is more than Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. If you take your New Testament, and you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the proportioned amount of material for that last week of, take the Gospel of John, and look, look at that, uh, that epistle on that Gospel, and take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and look at how much material is given to the last week of Jesus' life for that one week. It's very important, and there was more that took place than Palm Sunday, Passover night, Good Friday, and Easter. We have a lot of detail 
And in fact, if you happen to have a red-letter Bible, I'm not, in, I'm not endorsing it or not. It's, just, it's hard to buy one that's not today, okay? Um, and of course, the red-letter Bible just simply means that the actual verbatim quotes of Jesus are in red print, right? The reason why many people don't prefer that because it sort of indicates, well, that's more important than the rest of the Bible, and we believe all the Bible is God's Word, and I understand that. If you happen to have a red-letter Bible and you look at the Passion Week, you will notice how much red ink there is. And I'm not talking about debt or anything here, you know. There's red ink because there is so much dialogue and monologue by Jesus with the people he encounters and with his teaching. And you will notice as you read through it, you will notice that a very important theme of this, for example, if you look at Mark chapter 13, and I'll read just a, a small portion here, but this is, a, this is a huge theme. This is not something that's preached on a lot. This is not something that is, it, it's a little difficult. It's like studying Revelation. There's some things you have to track here and follow and, and pay attention to. But you'll read things like verse 14 of chapter 13. When you see the abomination that causes desolation. Every Jew in the audience knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the book of Daniel, which clearly talks about this, that this is going to happen in the temple. When you see this happening, and you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers, those who are not able to leave quickly. Pray this will not take place in winter because those days will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. Now, this is, this, I'm telling you, this is a huge theme in the Passion Week narratives. It's there in the Bible. And yes, it takes some attention, it takes some thought, it takes some consideration, but it is, it is the big theme from this Passion Week that what's going to happen before the Son of Man returns again. You know, I think of these, these disciples. I think of Peter, James, and John, and the others. It's easy to criticize them when we, when we come to Peter, you know, denying he ever knew Christ, swearing up and down. But, you know, think of, think of what, put yourself in their shoes for this week. Here, here they come on Palm Sunday, and, and, and everybody is exclaiming and crying out, Hosanna, and quoting Old Testament scriptures, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm sure for, for Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them as they came, it's, it was finally like, okay, they get it. It's been tough. You know, we've had a rough go with the Pharisees and Sadducees and so on. But obviously, in Jerusalem, Jesus finally, finally, he's letting them know, you know, all this don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. Finally, he's letting them say it. Finally, it's going to come. And they're on the cusp from their view of, of the kingdom, the Messiah, as they've been looking for. It's, it's finally here. Now, what happens? It's like Jesus goes out of his way all week long. To, to alienate and to divide their, their group from all the religious leaders and authorities. It's like he does everything he can 
to, 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 to chastise the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. He goes in the temple, and I can imagine Peter, James, and John standing there with their mouth open while Jesus is throwing the money changers out and throwing the tables. Listen, friends, this is not a way to gain support in the temple to set up a kingdom. I just wonder, I mean, I wonder what went through their minds as this week progressed. And then to hear him keep talking about all these terrible things that were going to happen before, before he comes, but he's here. And, and, and it's, it is so much there. So I, I just, I'm going to leave it there and just tell you, I have an assignment for you. I have an assignment for you this week. And I'm going to do it too. I've got a busy week too. I'm doing some work for Grace Bible College in the evenings, a class I'm teaching for them. I do that at nights. Um, but here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask you to join me. I'm going to ask you to join me. I know many of you are reading through the suggested Bible readings. Teresa and I have been doing that, and we're, we'll continue to do that. But I want to ask you, in preparation for Friday night, we, we are going to have a tenebrae service here Friday night. It's for the entire family. It's a one-hour service. Our choir is working very hard on this service to present a ministry that will be meaningful, will involve. It's a very somber service because it's the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to enter in, I want to enter in once again as much as possible into that passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he did for me, what he did for me because he chose to love me. And I want to ask you if on Monday night, you would read in one setting. Now, there are some TV shows. You know, we don't watch a lot of TV, but there are some shows we watch, and a half hour can go by just like that, right? Basketball game, you're going to watch Gonzaga today? Some of you, okay. It'll, it'll go by, okay? Um, uh, I'd like you to read Matthew 21 through 26, 17. Just the first part of 26. It's, it's simple. Start where, the, where Palm Sunday starts and go to where they're preparing for the Passover. I would like you to read that on Monday. On Tuesday, I would like you to do the same thing from Mark. Okay? It's Mark chapter 11 through chapter, early part of chapter 14. 11, 12, 13, and 9 verses of 14. On Wednesday, I would like you to read Luke 20 and 21. In one setting, just sit down and just read it like you'd read anything else. You don't have to analyze it, you don't have to study, just read it. And on Thursday, and you will see the distinctiveness of John in this, in this Passion Week, I'd like you to read John 13 to 17. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, John is going to give you the Lord's extended prayer for his disciples uh, in, as he prepares for his passion, for his death. I want to ask you to read those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm, I'm asking you to read the Passion Week narrative each night in one setting and prepare your hearts as we come to celebrate but to remember the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you read this, because I want you to see how much is in this, you know, oftentimes we skip from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter, but I want you to see how much is there, and I want, you to, I want you to read this yourself, and I want you to see how much has to do with what's going to happen, and what's going to happen when the Lord's return, 
And you're going to read the accounts like we studied in Sunday school today of the, of the woman who came and put her two coins as, and what the Lord said about her, how she gave everything she had. And you're going to read about the woman who came and anointed Jesus for his death and the criticism she received. And you're going to read about his, his, his challenging, the religious leaders. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes as all this is happening. And as you come to the end, and as you come in Mark, and I want you, we're going to close only Mark chapter 13. It is interesting. For Mark, you know, the Passion Week after Palm Sunday begins with a, a fig tree and cursing the fig tree. In Mark chapter 13, as he wraps up the narrative of the Passion Week and prepares for uh, Monday, Thursday, if you will, Passover Thursday, I want you to notice what he says in verse 28 of chapter 13. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. It's our fig tree again. This is not the one that was cursed. This is any old fig tree that's healthy. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. I mean, you go walk in our neighborhood and the little cherry blossoms that are all over the, you know, we know it's getting close to summer, spring at least, because of all the pink blossoms that are falling on the ground that we walk through. They're very beautiful. But he says, when you see this, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, the things you're going to read about this week, you know it is near it is right at the door. In fact, I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away. They won't die until all these things have happened. And I'll just give you a little hint. As you might read that and say, well, obviously the disciples died and all those things took place. But you're going to read about some things in the Passion Week that have not taken place. The sun did not turn dark. The moon did not go to blood. The stars did not fall from the sky. The terrible things, that, that some of those things, they did not happen. And I just want to suggest to you what Jesus is saying. When the generation that is alive sees these things happen and begin to happen, just as the fig tree puts forth its leaves and you know summer is near, when the generation that is alive, when these things really start to happen, just know this, it's going to happen within their lifetime that the Son of Man is going to return. Keep that in mind as you read it. And then finally in verse, 30, in verse 31, look at this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, I have a, it was a takeaway for you to take home with you today. We've been talking about the Passion Week. Yes, we are talking about Jesus' prophecies of the future. We're talking about Jesus preparing over 2,000 years ago to, to die and offer himself. But as we consider this today, as we began and end with the fig tree, these two lessons, those are the bookends. Um, let's close today with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. We began by talking about the faithfulness of God. The faith of God is a genitive. The faith of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, do you believe... Let me ask you, do you believe what Jesus said is true? All my words will come to pass. Heaven and earth can pass away, but everything I've said and say 
will come to pass. It's one of the reasons why we hold the Bible up in our church as our final authority for faith and practice. What we believe and what we do, what we teach your children and young people is that this is our final authority. I am not the final authority. The elders and teachers in our church and leaders are not the final authority. We, we are here to share as best we can our understanding, to point you toward this word. And this, this, is, this will always be who we are. We had a, we, thank you for praying for us, for our elder board, for our planning retreat this last weekend. We got a great start. It's not finished. We got a lot of things to work on, and the guys in, in, are really committed to that. And uh, But one of the things, of course, that... will will be affirmed and will always be affirmed is that this is our final authority for faith and practice. Look what God says to us. Verse 8 of chapter 1. He, he, not you and not me, but he, will keep you strong to the end so you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of his faithfulness. I don't deserve it. I would never expect it. But on the day that I stand before him, on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am going to be blameless. I am going to be, as I am now, forgiven. I am going to be seen in Christ Jesus. And so will all of you who have simply received Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. Listen, Jesus said, all my heaven and earth can pass away. But everything I have taught you, everything I have said, and since we believe the entire Bible is God's word to us, everything that he promises us, everything that he says, everything that he says is going to happen, it will happen. Amen? Because it's his word. And I ask you today as we close our... our, um, our service and the choir, the worship team can come up. We're going to close with a wonderful song. I want to ask you today, what promises of the Lord are you counting on today? What promises are you counting on today? What are you counting on? Are you counting on verses like, my God shall supply all your need? Do you really believe that? Do you believe God really means that? According to his riches in Christ Jesus, do you really believe when Paul says that God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will make a way for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe when the Bible says, ask for wisdom, and God, who gives liberally and generously, will give it to you if you ask? But don't ask in wavering faith, ask in faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe when Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Do you believe when the Bible says, So shall we be with the Lord forevermore, and that loved one who you are missing today, especially as we come to another family holiday, that we will be together again? Do you really believe that? 
And do you really believe when Paul says all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose? Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one, not one of God's word will ever fail to come true. Let's close our service, Faith, and our closing song we pick for us today. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. Who do you think of when you hear that song? George Beverly Shea. I remember hearing that. My mom used to play, we used to play that on the radio for her and record player. This morning I took out my, I had a, I have a little devotional book from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Thoughts, just a daily thing. And the bookmark in there was a photograph. And it's a very famous basketball player. It's me. From, uh, <laughs> I was the same age as Rachel, a senior in high school. I was a senior in high school, went to Lincoln High School, and it's a picture of me back when I had hair. you believe that, Rachel? I had hair. She has hair, Not too. quite as long as yours, but it was, it was closer. And I had uh, basketball shorts on that were here, like we all wore in those days, really cool looking. And um, 1971, uh, this is my home church. It's like this is your guys' your home church. And I remember singing that song here. And you know what? I think I'm the same as, I'm confident that for everybody else that knows Christ as Savior, I have never once in my life regretted that I know Jesus Christ. We've just sang, sung, I'd rather have Jesus. You can have Jesus today. You can have him by simply saying yes to God. I believe I'm a sinner. You know you're a sinner. You're not any worse or any better, but we're sinners. We know that. No one has to tell us that. Jesus Christ came to this earth, fully God, fully man. He went to the cross at Calvary, perfect. And he died on that cross, and he suffered. He suffered the punishment and the terror of death. And he did it because he chose to love you. And you can have Jesus Christ today if you will simply acknowledge your need and tell God, yes, I wish to receive Christ's payment for my sins. We'll help you. We'll help you grow. We'll help you come to know God's word. But you have to make that decision. You can have Jesus right where you stand today. Father, I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you for how much you love me. I thank you for how much you've loved my family my wife and kids and my grandkids. I thank you for church home where they've been nurtured, where I was nurtured, where I was loved and cared for. Opportunity to serve, opportunity to grow in my walk with you. And Lord, I pray that will always be part of this church. And Father, I pray today that there be one person, just even one, who you've been leading to yourself, not by anything we've done, but you have been leading to yourself, that they would simply say yes today. What a wonderful Easter they could celebrate by knowing Jesus Christ and receiving forgiveness for sins and the gift of eternal life. May they make that choice today and talk to us so we can help them along the way. We love you, and we thank you, and we have gathered today to praise your holy name. And all God's people can say together,